Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. We have finished that series on dynamite, understanding the power of the tongue. How many of you enjoyed that series for five weeks or so, right? How many of you did not enjoy it? You can raise your hand. And I'll probably put myself in that category because that is a topic that is very difficult. That is a topic that is so challenging because that's one of those where like we can speak about it, we can biblically get into God's word, and then the minute we walk out the door, something just happens and we just word vomit, don't we? Right? The power of our tongue. And so what a challenging series that was, I know, for me individually. And, and so we are actually switching gears And this is a really cool graphic that Pastor Jen put together, and this series is called The Easter Ensemble. Turn to someone and say The Easter Ensemble. This is where we're going. And this is because, can you believe we are like six weeks away from Easter? Can you believe that? Like we're already there. Like we are are already there. We are six weeks away from Easter Sunday. And so what we are going to do uh, before we celebrate Easter at Cornerstone, and we're going to prepare our hearts by looking at, I don't want to call them the ensemble cast, the co-stars, but really, Jesus is the hero. He is the star of Easter, right? Amen? But there are a lot of names, a lot of people that we read about and talk about, this ensemble cast, that they, they each have their own story. They all have maybe a different perspective. They have something that we can learn from and, and a story that, we can, um, that we, can, we can glean some insights from some of these other Easter heroes. And so we're going to begin this series looking at a woman who was, I believe, truly amazing when we break it down. I hope that there's going to be some eye-opening stuff that God's Word is going to reveal to you today. We're going to look at a woman named Mary. She was from a town called Magdala. She is a woman with a past. How many of us men and women have a past? right? We have a life before we experience Christ, right? A BC life, right? She has a past that we could say is rather scary, rather dark. She's mentioned, actually, fun fact, uh, Mary is mentioned in all four of the gospel accounts as being present, not only at the, the death of Christ at the cross, she was there, but also present at the resurrection of Jesus. Dr. Luke, he he, his gospel account suggests that Mary, um, she may have been a woman of means, a woman of a little bit of wealth, because uh, the, the town where she was from, the town was called Magdala, and it was meaning that it was defined as a tower or a, a castle town, right? It's always attached to her name. We could say it like this, she was, she was from a, a, a upstate, right? Or she was upscale neighborhood. She was from a, a posh part of, of town. She was, from, she was not a, a downtown Los Angeles girl. She was a Beverly Hills girl, right? She wasn't, she wasn't just a, a Summerlin girl. She was from the Ridges. Where is that neighborhood? Can anybody locate it? It's somewhere. I've heard about this special neighborhood called the Ridges, right? No, but she, she's from a posh place. We know her as, and you may have heard this name before, we identify her as Mary Magdalene. And so she is going to be the first Easter person, the first Easter ensemble character co-star that we are going to look at 
this morning. Do you have a Bible today? Would you break it open? If you got the real thing in the house, would you just throw it in the air and would you turn it as you're doing that to the Gospel of Mark? The Gospel of Mark. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you have the digital thing, would you fire it up? Would you throw it in the air? Get your thumbs hot. Get your thumbs ready to start going and taking notes and flipping through Scripture. But if you have a Bible, open it up or turn it on to the book of Mark chapter 16. And we're going to begin with a couple different gospel accounts, but we're going to start here in verse 1. Are you ready? <clears throat> one per, are, no, 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 are, it's like WWE style. No, 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 are you ready to get into the Word? All right, let's go. Mark chapter 16, verse 1, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought, bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. A little context on this scripture, if you flip back a page, this is right after the crucifixion. Jesus has just been murdered. He has just been on the cross, and there wasn't time to give proper care to his body because this Sabbath for them, Saturday, had intervened, right? And so this Sabbath had, had intervened and, and made a way, and these women had wished to anoint his body, and so they weren't able to do so because of the Sabbath. And so they set out early the next morning. They set out uh, first thing in the morning. Verse 2, very early on the first day of the week, which is Sunday morning just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Verse 6, don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. And how many of you know that it doesn't have to be Easter Sunday to just get excited about that? So when the pastor says, he is risen, he is not here, what should we be doing right now? Right? We should be, that's, kind of a, that's kind of a big deal, right? Because this is what sets apart our belief, our faith in the resurrection. It, it is not just that Jesus was a good guy or a good preacher or a good teacher, but we actually believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead, that on that third day the stone was rolled away. He was not there. He, he broke the grave. And so that is the hope that when we walk through, the, the, the Scripture says we, we have times in life where we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we have a hope, right? We still have faith, we still have confidence, and it's not in and of ourselves or that our situation isn't difficult or bad, but we have confidence because of that name, the name of Jesus, right? There was a, 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 a party that took place. There was the greatest show. There was a spectacle in heaven, right? All around, even the heavenlies, because the enemy had thought he had won. Jesus was dead, but now he had victory over death, and that's the hope that Christ's followers that we carry with us, even when life gets hard, right? That Jesus stripped the enemy of that power that he had. He stripped the enemy of the power over death. And we have this woman, this hero, Mary Magdalene, and she has a front row seat to it all. She has the best ticket in the house to all of this. She has this front row seat to the greatest moment in history, 
this altering life-altering moment in history. The book of Mark goes into a bit more detail. Can we skip ahead to verse, let's jump to verse 9, just one more verse here. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, the Bible says he, first, he appeared first to Mary, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. The, the, the gospel account of Mark, it's written by, somebody probably could figure this out pretty quick, we believe it's written by a young man named, uh, what? We're not common, right? Mark, yeah. But it's often thought that Mark was kind of, you ever hear of like a, a ghost writer? It's often thought that, that the book of Mark is actually details from Peter, right? It, it's not named after him, but it, it's kind of like, Peter is the type of personality that's just so ADD, he doesn't have time to like, I'm going to preach, and I'm going to do my thing, and Mark, you write all this down. Right? Kind of, right? When you read this and you compare it to what we're going to read in Luke and what we're going to read in the Gospel of John, Mark, uh, the book of Mark, it's kind of like cliff notes. So I'm going to give you the cheat sheet. Peter's like, I'm just going to give you the details, right? But Peter confirms here when he writes, he says, Jesus first appeared to Mary. And if we aren't careful... I think sometimes we just brush off little details, little nuggets in Scripture that we just think, and I know like for myself growing up in church, it's easy to read this and be like, you know, it was just, that's just who Mary Magdalene was. She was lucky, man. It was just, just happenstance. She just happened to have this best seat to the greatest show on earth, right? She just happened to be right place, right time, 777, Vegas-style luck, right? We love those numbers. But I want to spend some time today maybe debunking that idea a little bit, kind of looking at Scripture and looking at the qualities of this woman, Mary Magdalene, and kind of beginning to understand that it wasn't just luck. It wasn't just happenstance, but she did a lot right. In fact, she did so much right that I believe God specifically used her and called her to be there in that moment because she lived a life of such faithfulness. There's a life of, of consistent faithfulness on display through the person of Mary. And I think that is one of the reasons why she is the first person to basically be able to deliver this good news that we still talk about thousands of years later, that he is not here, he is alive. Mary gets to see this empty tomb moment live in the flesh. She has this an encounter with an angel. It's a massive moment for her. It's a massive moment for the church that will be. But it's also like she, she, she it's a massive moment for this. We're going to look at this ensemble cast of Easter. And I don't know that it gets any bigger than Mary Magdalene. And this moment she experiences because she gets to see Jesus. So if you have your Bible, I want to compare the Gospels a little bit today. Right, kind of, kind of look at these different accounts from different writers. We're going to look to Dr. Luke. If you know about Dr. Luke, he was a practicing physician. And, and I like to talk about him because his gospel account gets very detailed. We have some students in, in our youth group that they have parents that are pediatricians and doctors. And I like to say, are your parents, like, when they are on the job, are they detailed people? Do they care about the details when they're talking about someone's health? absolutely right somebody you might be like you might have a physician in the family or somebody who's a surgeon or somebody that you know right right they cannot skip on the details the details matter and those details show up in the gospel of Luke and so I always love uh, reading about that right and and, and so we, we we're going to turn uh, to Luke chapter 8 
And, and what I love about this book is, even if you look at Luke chapter 1, there's a man that Luke identifies, he, he, he pays for everything. He's like a benefactor. His name is Theophilus. And Luke says, I've interviewed all these people. It's like this two, I, I've done all this homework. I've done all this research. And it's so you, Theophilus, you can, you can, you can believe what you have heard about. And, and I love this man, Theophilus, because we could say he's like the benefactor and he's rich. Right? Is that a good way of thinking it? If your name, I like the, if your name is Theophilus, you better make some money in life. Right? That's about all you got going, right? I'm just teasing. Bad, bad dad joke. All right. Luke chapter 8. Can we get into this? Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him. And you know, when we talk about Jesus and we talk about the 12, I tend to focus on them a lot. Like I said, kind of a church kid, growing up in church, going to Bible college, I, just, I often just think about Jesus and the 12 and what they did and their teamwork on display and how Jesus had the 12 and yet he really poured into the three disciples, right? And that leadership model and somehow that poured over into the entire world. But this is early in the ministry of Jesus and he's going to every city. The Bible says he's going to village to village preaching the kingdom of God. And I tend to think about this 12-person support squad, but if we look at these three verses, we're going to find out that the 12 were really just the beginning of this team. There was, there was many more. There's a team of supporting roles. There's a, a team of, of supporting investors, people that are invested into the kingdom of God, that they play a role and they pour into this team. Almost in essence, they pour into them so much that Jesus and the 12 are free to travel about and do what they need to do that they're free to go about and use the gifts that God has given them. Let's look at verse 2. Would you read this with me? Along with some women. So, here we go. We, let's finish off. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, whom had he had cast out seven demons. Then we look at verse 3. There's Joanna, the wife of Chusa, and then my translation in the NLT says Herod's business manager, which is a wonderful way to describe her. There's Susanna. And then would you underline this in your notes? It says many others who were contributing. And it says not only were they contributing, they were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus. And who else? The 12 disciples. So here not only did Jesus have the 12, but it says he had a group of people. And then I love that it mentions, it mentions like three powerhouse, God-fearing, three, I'm thinking like these are probably some amazing women, some amazing people that were organizing, serving in a powerful way. They were, they were, they were serving, and here we go, would you, would you go through this list with me? This is quite the list. We got Mary Magdalene, and it's interesting, it, it, it writes, yeah, she's the one that was delivered from seven, seven demons. Uh, it, this just pops out to me, but... I don't, I think it'd be pretty scary to be possessed by one demon, right? Even in scripture, we see like seven is, is represented oftentimes as a, a number of completion, right? Seven days in a week, God created the, right? We, we talk about seven a lot, and it's interesting to me, like how bad must have life been? How dark was it for this hero? How dark was it for Mary Magdalene? It says she was possessed by seven demons. Hello, that's spooky stuff, isn't it? It freaks me out. I remember that, remember that movie with Denzel Washington back in the day? 
Anybody remember that one? It was called Fallen. I had bad dreams for months because of that movie, right? That movie, oh my God, goodness, it was, it was, it was like this, this oh, it was, it, was, it was just freaky. And that was just one. It says this, this woman had seven demons cast out of her. Then you had Joanna, the wife of Chusa. And this might seem like a small thing, but we're going to kind of talk about this. It says you had Susanna. And then it says, and there were many others. Many others supporting Luke is so orderly, he's so meticulous in his gospel account that he says, you know what, uh, uh, church, I know you know about Jesus, right? He's like, church, I know you know about the 12, but you need to also know who was paying for everything. (laughs) You need to know who was covering the bills. You need to know who was organizing the hotel rooms. You need to know who was opening up their, their home. Don't you forget about who was resourcing Jesus and the 12 because they wouldn't have made it on their own. There's always, you know, you think about churches, there's always like leaders of churches that we tend to, to focus on even in great movements, right? But there are always people behind the scenes, names that you may never know that are resourcing the gospel message. And these women in this group were offering support. They're like a, a core leadership squad. And we're introduced to Mary Magdalene and they mention, they mention this rock bottom moment that she has. This rock bottom, and how about you, like, we, we talked about she's Mary from Magdala, and there's some commentaries that talk about she may have been a woman of wealth, of resources. And so we're not talking about someone off the street that is just possessed by demons. You're talking about this, this person possibly with, like, a very upscale background that now all of a sudden she is possessed by seven demons. Jesus meets her at her lowest point. He pulls her out. And he brings healing to her life. Could we say it like this? Jesus brought healing. He brought hope. He brought forgiveness. He, he, he brought a reason for her to live. And, and, and one thing I love about Jesus is it seems like he brought lasting change to her life. You know that with Mary Magdalene? It seems like the change that he brought lasted. There's a couple things I want to write down about Mary Magdalene. That You know why I think she was the first to witness the resurrection? Well, I'm going to give you just three reasons, but there's, we could go on and on with many reasons. Her faithfulness, right? Her bravery. I always think it's interesting that, you know, at the, at the, at the cross, Mary was there. And we know where some of the disciples were, don't we? <laughs> right? They, they weren't there. They weren't with Jesus at the very end. There's some commentaries I read that suggest that, as I said, Mary was this woman of influence, but she has this darkness that, that, that was in her history. Number one thing we're going to write down, would you write this down about Mary? One of the reasons I think God identifies her and uses her, and she is the first to proclaim the gospel message, is number one, Mary was very resilient. Mary was very resilient. She wasn't one of those people who, have you ever been, I remember when I was in college and, and, and my, my minor was in like family counseling, and I remember we were in a, a a family counseling or a psychology class, whatever it was, and I had a professor, and that professor would always mention this spouse and this divorce and this history that, that they walked through and how the spouse was unfaithful and all of the hurt, and you could always tell it was very fresh, and, and we're like 18, 19-year-old, 20-year-old kids that have no clue about life, yet you're in college and you think you know everything, right? And I remember like we'd be in college and this teacher would just start crying, and you're like, You'd get, it'd get real quiet, and you'd wait for the tears to stop, and it would just be very 
was like weird, right? Can I just say it? Sometimes, everybody, right? Everybody have like teachers that you're like, okay, interesting, right? But I remember like one of the students finally had the, the braver and they asked this professor, they said, how, when did this unfaithfulness, when did this divorce happen? And I remember she said, she goes, it was 22 years ago. And I remember like kind of like that story just sticks out to me because part of me goes, Mary was so the opposite of this. We don't get a hint of smoke from Mary, right? We don't get a hint of like this, uh, this, this horrible past that she walked through. And how many of you know sometimes when Jesus brings healing, when Jesus brings change, we need to stop talking about and living in what we used to be and start walking according to who we are, Amen. Right, like it's 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 amazing to me. I love that in the Bible, God says that in, in, in the book of Daniel, there's Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right, and, and and they're there, and the Bible says they went into the furnace. Right, there was another in the fire. They exited the furnace, and the Bible says they didn't even smell of smoke. I look at myself and I go, that isn't. We do a fire pit in our backyard, and our clothes, my jacket smells for a week like fire. Right, you go camping and you just need to like burn your clothes. Right, you need to go. You just gotta get rid of your clothes if you ever go camping. Right, up in Duck Creek or wherever you go. Right, I love that. That I think Mary doesn't even smell of smoke. She's so resilient. She had this awful past, but it seems like she doesn't replay the hurt. It seems like she doesn't. She doesn't like go back and replay the wrong. She constantly has her eyes focused on Christ. It seems like she isn't defined by the ailment of seven demons. One would be enough for me. I don't want any. Right. She's not defined by this failure. She doesn't constantly be, she's not stuck in this darkness. It seems like being around Mary, she doesn't seem to be bitter or jaded, but there's this innocent sweetness about her, right? Like when you read about her in scripture, she doesn't seem to be snarky or like rude, but she seems to be very optimistic about what Jesus has brought her through and what he can do for others, right? She doesn't seem to have like this chip on her shoulder. Mary doesn't walk with a limp, right? It's like, she, she, it's like if God has healed you, stop limping. She seems sweet. She seems optimistic. And she seems like she's just focused on, she's like, Jesus is so good. You know what's interesting about Mary? She is a victim. She's a victim. She's a victim of this, this seven, seven demons. This is scary stuff. But what we actually see is she isn't, playing the role of a victim she actually is playing the role of a victor because of christ because of jesus she just walks in victory constantly and i think that's one of the reasons god said you know what i'm going to use her to be the first to proclaim that he is risen i'm going to use mary she's going to be the first to preach the gospel message isn't that amazing number two i think another reason god used her to be number one first person first messenger mary was grateful Mary was, was grateful. Scripture says she used her, her resources. Scripture says she used her, really we could say she used what she had to serve Jesus' team. Maybe she was the captain. Maybe she was the team mom. I don't know what her role was, but she constantly served team Jesus and his disciples. And it seems like she serves out of a sense of gratefulness. She's a woman looking for a way. She wants to bless others because she's received a blessing. She wants to see others healed because she's received healing. She wants to see others walk because God allowed her to walk fresh and new into a new life. She didn't just say, well, thanks, Jesus, my JC homeboy, and I'm out of here, right? That story when Jesus heals the lepers, there's 10 of them. And you know, in the scripture, it says, how many came back just to say thank you? Right on there, one. 
Out of the ten lepers, there was only, Jesus said, Did, weren't, all, weren't the other nine healed? Why didn't, why, why didn't they say thank you? Why didn't they say thank you? You know what's interesting to me? Mary not only says thank you, she says, take my stuff. Jesus, take my, take my skills, take my, take my resources. I have, I have a personality. I have money. I have things. I have organizational leadership skills. You know what? Would you write this down? This isn't, gratitude is never silent. Would you write that down in your notes this morning? Gratitude is never silent. When you are thankful for something, you show it. When you are thankful for someone, you tell them. You don't do this marriage stuff, and I don't know if there's any tough, right? I know guys, we like to pretend like we're tough, but I'm telling you, if you are thankful for that bride in your life, you tell them that. You tell them you love them, right? I'm not into this, like, I, I remember hearing this story, like, I, I, I told you I loved you when we got married. If I ever changes, I'll let you know. No, how, what kind of husband, right? I like to kiss my wife on the cheek every day, and I like to make my little kids go, oh, Dad, stop, right? I like to just smooch till it makes somebody uncomfortable because I'm thankful for that gift, right? I'm thankful for that relationship. It's the greatest blessing ever, and I'm going to show it. I'm going to show people I don't care what they think, right? I'm going to kiss that cheek all day, whatever it is, right? When you love something, when you are thankful, when you are grateful for something, you show it. And Mary is a woman that she, she just was like, Jesus, I'm so thankful. I've got to offer something in return. Jesus, I just got to give you something. Mary was a woman. Would you write that down? She was grateful. Number three, the third reason. And again, we could go on and on. She was brave. She was a leader. She invited others. She was a bringer, Right? There's so many things we could go on about Mary Magdalene. Why I think it was no accident she was at the tomb, that she was uh, that Jesus was, that she was the first to see him. I don't think it was an accident at all. Here's another reason why I don't think it was an accident. Number three, Mary's faith was contagious. Mary's faith was contagious. I don't think it's too soon to use terms like this because we've seen this in 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 the last couple years. We all are contagious. There is something contagious about us, right? We all are contagious. And, when, and that is true for us spiritually. Do you know that? Right? You either, you either are spreading something spiritually or you are not. Right? You are, you are either, right? Your, your, your gossip is contagious. We learn that with our mouth. Our words are contagious. The things we speak are contagious. But also, man, that the praises, right? The, 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 the life that we speak into people, that is contagious as well. And Mary's faith was always a contagious faith. We see that. It's like she surrounded herself with this powerhouse group of ladies. She surrounded herself. Mary's name, I was talking about this with my dad in the car today. I, I, it's, I've seen some that said 12. I, I, I saw one commentary that said she was mentioned 14 times in Scripture. Now, in Scripture, you may not think that's a lot, right? But we're still reading this book thousands of years later, right? This is a big deal. Her name is mentioned more than most of the disciples. The disciples are just like, I forgot there was. Was there a guy named Nathaniel? You said that in the car today. I was like, I forgot there was a Nathaniel. Who, did, who, who remembered there was a Nathaniel? Anybody? Or am I the only one, right? We don't talk about Nathaniel. Which disciple's he, right? Mary Magdalene is mentioned 14 times in scripture she's mentioned more than most of the lesser known disciples eight times she's mentioned and and it's it, eight time eight of those times it's in a connection with this group of people eight times it's mentioned that she is in this like core leadership team of this group that is going to change the world 
Let's look at more of what Dr. Luke wrote down, and and, and don't let verse 2 escape us today. Verse 2 of chapter 8, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, among them were Mary Magdalene, so check mark, we remember her, from whom had been cast out seven demons, and then we have Joanna, the wife of Chusa, then we have Herod's businessman, she was Herod's business manager. She was married to him. Susanna and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Mary has this past, but she seems to use her influence to be infectious. She seems to use her influence to be contagious and intentional with her faith. These other leading ladies, how many think it's pretty cool to be mentioned in Scripture? Well, for some people it is. For other people, I wouldn't want to be mentioned, right? For some, yeah. Uh, You know, certain guys, it's like, oh, no thank you, right? Um, We're going to talk a little bit about Herod. I I wouldn't want to be known as Herod the Great, because Herod the Great in Scripture, we're going to talk about him in just a moment, is is, is just a a man that has has lost it, right? But it's interesting, these people, would you kind of look, and I don't want to skip past this, these women that Jesus and Mary and the disciples hung out with, who is this Joanna, the wife of Chusa? And we can kind of just skip past this, because again, I, I, growing up in church, I'll be honest, some, you just read it, and you move on. You listen to a devotion in the car, and you move on. That's why like, I don't always kind of read it and like slow down and uh, talk about it. Remember, for the, the audience that this was written for, they give these labels and these names and where they're from, because people are familiar with the people that they're mentioning. They're they're familiar with this powerhouse couple, this Joanna, the wife of Chusa, right? This Joanna, the wife of Chusa. I don't want to skip past this because this is an influential family. The Herod at this time, you might read the Bible and think, man, Herod sure seems to show up a lot, and he does, right? It was more the, it was the title. There there was, the, the, the Herod at this time, he was a king, he, he pretty much was a king for the Roman Empire, kind of a puppet king in place, placed in power by them, but he was a powerful man, no less. He was a king, he was wealthy, he had investments, he had power, he had land. His name was Herod Antipas. And this was the Herod of the time. He was the son of who I just mentioned, Herod the Great. And Herod the Great should not be called Herod the Great. Herod the Great in Scripture is the Herod responsible for murdering all of the young men, all of the young boys, all of the babies under two, two years old and younger. That is the father of this Antipas, and they call him Herod the Great. He is the Herod who tried to kill Jesus. He's the Herod who, who he said to the wise men, hey, uh, you know, let me know where he's at because I need to worship him too. Right? It was that Herod, that deceptive Herod, that murderous madman. He should have been called Herod the insert something else, right? His son is Herod Antipas, and I don't know that he is much better because if we get into Scripture and we realize who he is, he is the man that had Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, beheaded. All right? So we're dealing with these, these, these kings of the time, and so here we go. Part of Mary's crew, part of the girl squad, Paul, part of the the, the, the powerful women in this group of leadership, right? Here we go. It's this woman named Joanna, the wife of Chusa. William Barclay's commentary, I was reading it this week in these, these little blue books that I steal from my dad. And it, 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 William Barclay calls them, he says, Chusa was Herod's epitropos. 
which basically is a fancy way of saying he was the financial in charge of the king's finances. He was the official in charge of the king's money. He was the official in charge of the king's property transactions. He was the official in charge of all things financial for King Herod. He said he was one of the king's most trusted officials. And so I, I read this and I go, oh my goodness, does Jesus just attract people from all over, right? It's truly amazing to find, you find Mary Magdalene and this Joanna, the wife of Chusa, in the same company. So this Chusa, it's, it's no doubt, if he is the king's, one of the most trusted advisors to a wealthy, powerful king, there's no doubt in the commentary I was reading that this man was a well-paid. Some, some definitions call him a steward, right? He is the steward who manages the king's real estate portfolio. And, and, and it says, it's, I find it interesting, this Chusa, his wife, is right in the middle of the action. And how many of you wives know you have a lot of power over your husband? Amen? That's a good thing. Sometimes we need you wives to tell us how life is, right? That's a good time to say amen, ladies. Husbands, it's a good time to earn some points. Yes, honey, I agree. Right? But I think it's interesting, this, this wife of Chusa is right in the middle of Jesus' leadership team. And I want to talk about money for just a moment, because we don't ever like talking about money. But this was just something that hit me, and I thought it was a cool idea. So you have this, this woman, Joanna, who's the wife of Chusa, who manages the king's real estate transactions. What if, is this too far of a reach, but I'm just kind of throwing myself into this story, right? What if this Joanna, for just a moment, is it too far to think that all this money coming into King Herod, all of this money, or some of this money, or part of this money that is going to King Herod is now being funneled to Chusa, and, and, and how many of you know, like, the, the wife has a say in things, is it possible that Joanna has a say in how some of this money is getting funneled from the king, right? And who is making, is, is it too far of a reach to think she's probably making some generous donations to the ministry of Jesus and the disciples? This Joanna, wife of Chusa, she's, her husband works for the king and yet he's probably, she's probably making some, some donations to help make the hotel plans and the dinner plans and whose house are they going to be at? Some, some, some are setting up some of the infrastructure for Jesus and the, so they could do what they were gifted at doing. It's, it's interesting to me. Could it be that the very king that had the head of John the Baptist, right? The very king that took the life of John the Baptist, right? He may not even know it, but he might have a member of his staff who is helping pay for the ministry of Jesus all around the nation. Isn't that cool? Like, I just look at that and go, oh my gosh, Jesus, he just attracts different people. The Gospel of John, it gives us a little bit more of an intimate detail as we get ready to close. I want to I talk a little bit more about Mary Magdalene. And remember, when we are introduced to her, they always, they always talk about Mary. Don't forget, she had seven demons that possessed her, right? So she goes from this woman that was, she had seven demons, this dark place, driven out of her. Then she goes to having this encounter with an angel, and then she, she has this encounter with the risen Jesus himself. If you have your Bible, would you jump ahead to John chapter 20? John chapter 20, and this is kind of the, the last look. We, we've looked at the gospel of Mark, what he has to say about Mary Magdalene. We've looked at the gospel of Luke, and now we're going to look at John chapter 20. Verse 1, it says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. 
She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. We know him as John. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Verse 3, Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. (laughs) Verse 4, it says they were both running. Do you kind of see the way this is written? Like the Gospel of John is like this this detailed, poetic, like it's just much more detailed, right? The Gospel of Luke is like fact after fact after fact. And then the Gospel of Mark is like, yep, Mary Magdalene was there. It's like the cliff notes, like Peter giving Mark the cliff notes, right? Peter just, Peter just write, Peter, Peter's just saying to Mark, just write this down. But the Gospel of John, I love it. So would you look at verse 3? It says, Peter and John begin to run. And if we kind of look at what's going on here, clearly, <clears throat> Sean, it'd be like, hey, we got some news and let's go, let's go run and catch up with Jesus. Well, if Sean and I go run towards anything, could be an, even an ice cream bar or whatever it is, how, uh, that guy's going to beat me, all right? I don't know if this, is, if this is John's way of bragging. Like, is he writing this saying, like, hey, Peter was packing on a few more pounds, right? Like, you catch this in the language? Look at how detailed this gets in verse 3. He's like, Peter, Peter was huffing and puffing but I got there first, right? You're not first, you're last, right? Look at this. Like, he, I love how, how the detailed. John gets there first, and it says Peter arrived behind John, kind of huffing and puffing. I love, like, why would he even put that in there? Verse 4, they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. I, just, I don't know why. I just get a kick out of that, right? He outran him. Says, of course, Peter Peter is huffing and puffing, and let's look at verse 5. Scripture can, be, scripture can be fun when we really get into it, right? Verse 5, he stooped, and he looked in, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but John didn't go in. And this just perfectly describes their personalities as well. Look at verse 6. John kind of has some, some dignity, some respect for the tomb, some respect, some graveside manners, right? Then you have verse 6. Here's Peter, all right. Bull in a china shop. Verse 6. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. <laughs> he didn't stop. It says he also noticed that the wrappings were lying there. Notice, I, I love how it's like John was respectful. He didn't go in, and then Peter just arrives and it's like, you know, straight into the tomb. What's going on? I'm here to save the day, right? Peter, 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 right? He just goes straight in. He's not one to ever really worry about manners. His personality is just asking those tough questions. Verse 7, while the cloth that covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings, then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, right, he's still bragging about it, the disciple who reached the tomb first, right, then he also went in, like you, we get it, Peter is no track star, he's chubby or something, something's going on. And he saw and he believed, verse 9, for until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. And then verse 10 just makes me scratch my head a little bit. Then they went home. The tomb is empty, and it just kind of shows you, like, sometimes us boys, I don't know what it is spiritually, we just need people to help us out because this just, it just scratched my head. They, They saw an empty tomb, they went home? I read that and I go, what do you mean they went home? They didn't go, tell, they didn't go try to figure this out. They didn't go looking. They went home. Like that's going to solve the problem. Like that's going to give them the answer they're looking for. But no, 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 not Mary. 
I love this about Mary Magdalene. Let's continue on in Scripture as Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. Mary was standing outside the tomb, and here we go. It says she was crying. And actually, it says as she wept, she stooped and she looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. This is interesting to me. The disciples went home. What, were they scared? Did somebody think they did something? Were they scared someone was going to show up? Why did they go home? And it says, no, Mary took the time. She, her heart was broken. Where have they taken my Lord is what she's going to say later, right? Mary, is, Mary is, she stays at the tomb crying, weeping. She saw two white-robed angels. Let's read that again. One sitting on the head, the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Verse 13, dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. It says, but she didn't recognize him. I'm sure she was weeping, folks. Um, you ever been crying so you're, you're, you just can't stop the tears? Her eyes were probably, like she was probably had blurred vision. The tears were coming on so strong. It says she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him. And I'll go and get him. Look at this loyalty. Like this fierce woman. She's like, he may be... He may be wrapped, he may be passed away, but I'll go take care of this. I'll go carry him myself if I have to, even though he, he probably is twice my size, right? In verse 16, Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, teacher, some translations say rabbi. Verse 17, he says, don't cling to me, but, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers, Mary, and tell them I am ascending to the, my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And look at verse 18. The first time the gospel was shared. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and she told them, I have seen the Lord. Hello. She delivers the gospel message for the first time in history. I have seen Jesus. The tomb is empty. He is not there. He is alive. And she gave them the message. And I think about this and I go, why was Mary the first? Why was Mary the first one, right? I think God gave Mary this front row, greatest showman experience right there to see because she was a woman who always displayed her faith, right? One thing I have learned, and I don't, I don't say this in bitterness, just a reality and a wake-up call, crisis, when we've been in a crisis situation and we see what's going on in Europe and Ukraine and we have more crisis on the way, church, because we live in a, a sinful world. As Christians, I don't believe we should be expecting it to get better, but I believe what we should be doing is sharing the one thing that we know that can possibly bring peace or help or salvation. That's simply sharing the love of Christ because, man, Jesus is coming back and until then it is not going to get better and it certainly isn't, is it? Right? But Mary, Mary, I've discovered this. She was in crisis mode, and the crisis exposed what she was all about. Jesus was murdered, and her fearlessness was put on full display. I think God gave Mary this front row seat because, you know something, crisis, when we go through crisis, it doesn't change who you are, but it reveals who you really are. 
And we've seen that a lot. I've seen that in our church. I've talked to pastors who've seen that in their churches. Crisis doesn't change people. Crisis shows you who people are. Crisis shows you what's been under the surface, bubbling up, and, and crisis simply causes it to boil over. It exposes what's really going on. And for Mary, the worst day of her life was this man who she loved, this man who saved her, this man who gave her purpose and forgiveness and offered her grace when no one else could fix the problem. He is brutally murdered right in front of her. And a lot of times I envision the cross thinking it's like this, this up on a hillside Thomas Kincaid experience because it looks somehow beautiful even though it's crazy to think about right but the cross was right in front of you man they were probably able to look at Jesus right in the eye the crown of the thorns was right on his head the nails were right next to him the nail in his foot the spear stuck in his side the scumbags gambling over his clothes the Bible says that people mocked Jesus until they ran out of energy to mock him anymore and Mary Magdalene was right there she didn't budge she didn't flee she didn't run away she didn't worry for her life she stayed at the cross while many of the disciples fled. And I was reading this in the Barclay commentary this week. He said, it may have been safer for Mary to be at the cross because she was a woman in that culture, possibly. But he said, but she may have also just been more brave than the boys. That's what he said. She may have just displayed more bravery and more faith than the fellas did in that moment. And she stayed with Jesus because he had saved her. I think Mary got this front row seat because sometimes we underestimate the power of presence. And even if you're watching online, right, there's something about being present in a room. Guys, when we go to the altar men's conference and we fill up the bottom section or the bottom bowl of Thomas and Mac, and I know it's not something like, to me it sounds like a headache to do church with 15,000 people every Sunday. That would just be crazy. God bless, you know, churches that do. But like there will be something about what God does in an experience at the Thomas and Mac on April 8th and 9th because of men being present, Right? There will be something that God specifically does at Women's Crave Night on Tuesday night because you were present. You showed up. And Mary Magdalene got this front row seat, I believe, because she was present. She always showed up. And what did she show up with? She showed up with her support. She showed up with her prayers. She showed up with her money. She showed up with her gifts. She showed up with her organizational skills. She showed up with her influence. She showed up with her ability to invite others into the group. Joanna of Chusa, we need you, girl. Get in here, right? She was always there. And I think that is the story of Mary Magdalene. That's her story, folks. She got a front row seat, I think, because she always was there. She was always present. And so long before we ever had Rick Warren doing the purpose-driven stuff, and he's amazing, long before, I think a cornerstone, I remember being a kid, and like where we were standing was dirt. I remember like pulling up to this section of town and there wasn't much on the west side, right? It was just dirt. Long before any of those things happened, long before, you know, anybody remember Billy Graham and he would have these crusades and you still have them today with like Greg Laurie. Long before any of these heroes delivered the gospel message, long before the apostle Paul began to write the epistles and he began to write Romans and he began to just change the world with his writings. Long before any of that, you had Mary Magdalene that was the first to say, Jesus is alive. Isn't that amazing? 
Isn't that amazing? And I think the reason it's so amazing and the reason she was so bold and the reason she was so consistent, it is found, and look at it with me as we get ready to pray. Would you look at verse 13 with me if you would? It says this, dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her, why are you crying? She didn't know the good news awaiting her. And look what she says, they have taken away my Lord. There's one little word that catches my mind in this writing. Why was Mary, why was she so amazing? Why was she so confident? Notice what she says here. She says, they have taken away my Lord. She doesn't say they have taken away the Lord. She knew who Jesus was for her and to her. And that, folks, is the, as we get ready to approach Easter, think about the ones you care about, the ones you work with, the ones that you like to work with, and the ones that you can't stand to work with. And here's the most important question we can basically ask in our lifetime. Who is Jesus to you? Because what Mary Magdalene said was, she is my Lord. She didn't say he was the Lord or someone else's king or someone else's Lord, but she says, he's mine. He's my Lord. And when he's your Lord, you know his voice. When he's your Lord, you show up. When he's your Lord, you freely open your hands and you give because he's just been that amazing and that good. Can we bow our heads? Let's pray, church. God, we love you. We thank you. And God, we just pray that as we get into this series, the ensemble heroes of Easter, God, that you continue to move and stir our hearts. There's so much happening in this world that's difficult and heartbreaking and sinful and gross and sad. So much happening, God, we know that breaks your heart. God, encourage us to remember and to have a faith to believe that we are here for a reason. We are here for a purpose. We are here for such a time as this, that God, you have placed us here in this moment of history to continue to declare a message that has rang out from generation to generation for thousands of years, the message that Mary was the first to announce that he is not here, he is risen, he is alive. And so God, give us words that bring peace. God, let us be fearless in a fearful world because Jesus is alive. God, in a, in a world right now where there are churches in Ukraine that probably have disbanded or broken up or that church is having service while they're trying to cross a border and get out. They're having church maybe in a subway. There's churches in China that they are meeting. God, give us the, 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 the wisdom and the, and the knowledge, but God, give us the reminder of the reality that we get to be here and declare that you are our Lord. And God, help us to remember that when we are upset about something petty, something that doesn't matter, something that will not echo in eternity. God, fill us with your spirit. God, make us bold. Give us a fresh faith and new fire. God, help us be like Mary. But Lord, help us to begin by just showing up. Maybe you're here this morning and I want to ask you that question. Who is Jesus to you? 
We're going to close, and we need to wrap this up. Who is Jesus to you? It's the most important question you can ask. If you're watching at home, it's the most important question you need to answer, and your parents can't answer it for you. Your professors can't answer it for you, right? Your grandparents can't give you the answer. You have to answer this for yourself. Is Jesus just a buddy, a homeboy, a nice guy, a teacher, or is he Lord? For Mary, he was her Lord. Maybe you're here today and you need to say, you know what, Joey, the first thing I can do, I can show up, but before I show up, I need to make him Lord of Lords. I need to make him number one. I put myself first too much. Maybe you've been out of church for a long time. Maybe you've been out of relationship with Christ. Maybe you, you, you came when you were young, whatever it is, and you've just said, you know what, I'm going to do it on my own in my 20s or my 30s. Maybe you need to come back to him and say, Jesus, I need you to be king. Maybe you need to acknowledge him for the very first time. If that's you, I just want to invite you to lift your hand. That's one way we have a, a way of acknowledging and say, you know what, yep, I'm in. I'm in. I'm joining Mary Magdalene. I'm joining this team. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm in. He's my Lord. If that's you, would you just lift your hand or would you lift your eyes? Would you look at me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you want to make Jesus Lord as he was to Mary Magdalene, would you just lift your hand? One, two, and three. Would you just go ahead? Is there anybody here? I see you over there, two over that way. I see you over here, young lady. Anybody else on this side? Can we pray this? And if you're watching at home, uh, respond. Throw that in the chat. Let someone know. But can we pray this? Jesus, I need a king. Jesus, I need saving. Come on, church, let's say it. Forgive me, make me new, and make me bold. Jesus, I want to serve you. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Can all God's people say amen? Amen. Can we applaud him? Can we praise him? Amen. God, we love you. It's good to be in your house today. May we never take being in God's house for granted. As you go this morning, we want to dismiss and we want to invite you, whether it's the men's event, whether it's the Crave Night, be a bringer, right? Be a bringer. Let somebody know what Jesus has done for you. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. Thank you for joining us today. And a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, you can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with friends, share it with family. Help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.